Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. The radio and TV version of the show air in over 12 states. This includes both coasts and Silicon Valley. The show also airs in the UK, Caribbean, and Australia. For full show times, plus past episodes of the TV and radio show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. We just launched a free online community to connect past guests, listeners, and others. This community will allow you to network, chat on Slack, or get help with anything else, and a lot more. If you're interested in joining the community, buying some merch, sponsoring the show, or signing up for the newsletter, please go to buildingthefutureshow.com. I want to invite all of you in the Building the Future community to join me at SUPEX, the Startup Expo in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, this July 26th, where I'll be the MC. SUPEX is one of the largest and best startup conferences in the U.S. and the official gathering of the Building the Future community this summer. SUPEX has cutting-edge content, a cool startup competition, and a half-day forum this year called Hashtag Women for Women, the largest gathering in the U.S. in 2018 of angel groups, seed funds, and BC funds focused on female founders and female entrepreneurs. For more information, visit www.sup-x.org. I hope to see all my Building the Future friends there. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Travis Dulaney. He's the CEO, co-founder at Push Payments. Travis, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, I'm excited to have you back. I, I think it's pretty timely with kind of all the stuff happening right now in, in the payment, especially digital payment space. But maybe before we kind of get into all that fun stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. No, absolutely. So, uh, unlike a lot of people in the financial services space, um, I actually grew up very simple. I grew up in Virginia. Okay. Um, in the southwest area of Virginia, I'm just a good old country boy at heart. Very cool. So you went to um, like well a few universities. Kind of what did you take in university, and and what got you passionate about taking that? Well, you know, I, I actually started at a little community college and spent some time at Virginia Tech, also okay. spent some time at the University of Phoenix. And, um, uh, but, you know, uh, technology has always been my passion. It's never um, um, been anything other than the, the fascination of creating something. I'm a, I've been a builder of things ever since I can remember. Okay. So growing up, you know, simple and kind of uh, as a country boy, if you will, um, you know, we owned farms and my grandfather had a farm and we were building fences and barns. And, and so there's this aspect of construction and just building something that has always been ingrained in me. So the idea that I could take technology and software and build something out of nothing was fascinating to me. And so that's really what it mounted to. Okay, very cool. So you, you went you mentioned you've been to kind of university a couple of times, but you've had a ton of kind of experience. Maybe walk us through your post kind of university career, maybe some uh, career highlights up until kind of push payments. Okay. No, I'd, I'd love to. You know, I I, um, I guess I, I really got into this business. Uh, I, I help people do a couple um, startup companies okay. and uh, and then I got involved in really another startup um, this was just after the 
kind of error of the roll-up of the internet connection. I'm dating myself now. No, so the ISPs, you know, they used to be mom and pop. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then they started rolling up to bigger guys. You know, now it's AT&T, Comcast, whatever. Sure. But it wasn't always like that. So there was a lot of regionals, and we were an M&A company that bought them. And okay. so I was part of their R&D team and created, like, you know, websites on, on these new things and these new little dialogue um, opportunities. And so... So that's we we basically built the company, took it public, and sold it to AT&T. Gotcha. So um, that's that's what got me into the I'd say the internet era. Um, and um, yeah, I actually had my own um, startup back in the day, and and worked with um, AudioNet, which was Mark Cuban's sure. old company when they started, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. we were doing you know, video compression stuff like that. Wow, and, very and, early know, on. Yeah, I was um, very excited. But I mean, <laughs> I had my own ISDN line, which we thought that was really cool before you get a T1. And, totally. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, definitely dating myself a little bit. But that's just, I've always had a passion for that technology and the things you can do and finding what we could do and pushing the edges. And so then I, I went to work for a company that called Claim Card. And that was uh, a startup company. Okay. And they had... Um, after Hurricane Andrew hit South Florida, right. there was you know problems with paying out claims because there was a run on the bank. There's no money and things of that nature. So, Claim Card had put claim processing from State Farm on a card. Okay. So it was really the first prepaid card, is what it was. Interesting. And so that company became Wildcard Systems, and Bank of America had invested in this, and we became a a um, big component of gift cards when they first started and. And so that evolved. I ran um, uh, virtual travel money cards for Visa. We converted all the traveler checks to cards. So that's where I got my stint in the payments world. And that, that allowed me to learn issuing, understanding uh, the networks, worked with Visa and MasterCard, believe back then. And um, one of my programs was the very first international uh, remittance program using a card, uh, you know, first cross-border transaction ever did. And so it was, uh, it was fun. Um, it was learned a whole lot. And um, the, so that company, Walker Systems, got bought by a company called eFunds, which okay. is a switching company. So then I started learning about switching traffic and you know, how to move route transactions from one place to the next and things of that nature. And then, well, eFunds, two years later, um, was purchased by FIS. And I was with FIS until about, I guess, six years ago or so now. And um, so with FIS, then I just continued to learn more we got into a um you know our economic collapse a number of years ago and i was right in the middle of that so i spent a lot of time unfortunately shutting down banks and um, so that helped me see all the insides of a bank and how they work how the core works all the different pieces connected to it you know fed water all those things and um so you know uh coming out of that i i still worked for fis it was time for me to kind of leave the big corporate world and, um, you know, I ventured off and started um, looking for what I wanted to kind of do with the next chapter of my life, uh, for the most part, and did a lot of consulting, did a lot of work uh, in the card and around the payments world and mobile payments and things of that nature, and, um, and in effect, started uh, my own company that then became First Payments. And so that was, we saw what was going on in mobile, the evolution of mobile and handheld devices, and 
said, well, you're going to have to connect that and you're going to have to have an instant gratification and on demand and things don't have to move faster because the products today don't. Right. So we had actually came up with a way and we worked with Visa and, and, um, mainly Visa in the beginning. And when they started, very first started out with OCT products. Okay. And uh, it was no problem with acceptance and all those things. So we've just been along that road all the time. And, and so then I've stayed there and we've worked with the Federal Reserve on the Fastware Payment Task Force and worked with the major networks and, you know, to really improve the process of being able to digitally send a transaction instantaneously. And we use the networks that kind of run a transaction backwards. Okay. That's what it amounts to. Interesting. And um, so... It gave us basically a new function, a new capability, and you know, really an opportunity for a new type of rail. Okay. And so that that's kind of where what brought us here. Okay. So, how do you guys kind of work with you know some of these big institutions to actually make some of these payments kind of real time? Because that's it sounds probably really simple, but for somebody that's ever kind of tried to get into kind of some of these you know, banks or, or big systems, it's a huge challenge. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And so one of the big sticking points, um, really when it came down to working with banks, is that the banks are, or at least the perception that all banks are managed through the core. And so, the, so unless you have access to the core, you can't do anything. And that's what, you know, companies like I used to work for, FIS and well, Fiserv and the rest of them, they want, that's what they want you to think, for that matter. Okay. Um, because that's a, they had a monopoly on that business. And, you know, there was uh, a very prominent person in the, in the won't name his name, but sure. it said, once if you own the core, you own the relationship and you own that bank. Okay. And so there's a, there's a truth to that. There was a belief to that because technology hadn't evolved enough yet. Right. So, you know, I... Um, that was one of my big sticking points. How do we actually support and how can we utilize and, and work with banks and, and, and still do this type of process without having that interconnectivity? Right. So it's literally one of those things out of a movie where I woke up at two o'clock in the morning in a cold sweat and I ran through my whiteboard and yes, I have a whiteboard in my house, <laughs> a number of them. That's awesome. And, uh, and I started drawing and I started and you know, so of course, um, about five o'clock that morning when the lights came on, everybody was coming out for coffee. Um, you know, I was still working. And, and so uh, I had figured it out. And so it's really, um, it's, it's actually very simple to some extent, but there is no need to go to the core. Um, and so it's, it's really about the evolution of technology, use of APIs, um, and really just use of data in the right structures. The key thing to understand is that, um, and that actually, I have to give little credit, and, and, and forgive me here, but um, Brett King actually allowed me to see this at one point um, in a different light. Um, we were having a conversation, and, and he just did one of his funny eyebrow things and, and said, or is it? <laughs> and, and it just made me think differently a little bit. That's awesome. It was just kind of, well, yeah, it's just one of those things that like hits you at the right time, right? And sure. so, um, and really what it amounts to is that we have a huge distinction in the marketplace um, that it's there and it's very obvious and everybody knows it, but you don't think about it. And sure. so, so if you think about today and you said, well, you know, how do you do that in a bank? And, you know, for somebody who doesn't know, 
Well, that's, that's, that is the point. Because today, we have sold the public that everything happens just quickly. Right. We, everybody expects it. Everybody demands that they have instant gratification. And if they don't, they get annoyed and irritated and go away. Right. Yep. So we've sold the expectation everything should work that way. You know, we go from, you know, email is too slow now. So we text, you know, or we IM or, or you know, DM or whatever it is. And so we have all these avenues of communication, um, you know, too many, really. But, yep. <laughs> um, but so, but it, but it, it sets an expectation that everything should be like that. Right. And why can't I have it now? And it's almost like a child stomping their feet. Yep. So the banking industry and all of our rails, is still living, you know, in 20 year old technology. Sure. So it just wasn't built that way. It's not that it couldn't, it's not that it's not digital technically, but it's not in a real time fluent aspect of it. Right. Meaning uh, we have time in between because we have to do fraud and we have to do all these checks because it was convenient because that time was there. So it, it really have to reorganize how you think about things because you know, even like fraud, real-time payments, and a lot of people thought, so, oh, wait a minute, you know, what about the fraud? Well, that's because they're used to doing it in between the wait period of ACH. Sure. Well, okay, so you designed it inefficiently, and so why is that our problem, right? But um, what it amounts to is the fraud and the, all the checks should be done up front anyway, which is why identity management is so important nowadays. Sure. You got to know who that person is on the other side because it's a computer. You don't always know that, right? Sure. So... So, um, you know, just, just creating that um, environment, and it's really the expectation that has been set, and we can then feed that expectation in a technology sense. So it's almost like a layered effect. So you can do whatever you need to do to manage and derive those frictionless environments to the customer. And from a technology and the evolution that we have today, we can create that environment that makes everybody happy. And behind the scenes, we can still do all the other things we need to do within the right timing, for depending on what you're doing. Fraud obviously does change things. But it also means that, you know, does the money really move or does it not? So, you know, you think of it this way. So today, we talk about money moving, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it a number on the screen? If it's just a number on the screen, is is there a whole bunch of Wells trucks or a bunch of, you know, the, the armored trucks all of a sudden run off to the other bank and give them the cash? No. Sure, yeah, yeah. Because, right, all of our money is digital nowadays. Sure. Except for cash, the paper. Yep. So the difference is they're just a, a bunch of different closed networks. Venmo, closed network. Sure. Zelle, yep. closed network. Right? Visa, closed network. Try to get into that one without being on the outside, right? So MasterCard, closed network. Every network out there, with the exception of Bitcoin, um, is a closed network. Sure. So now Bitcoin comes along, and and I will actually give Bitcoin and blockchain and and that. And I got involved early on, so I, you know, I confess, I own Bitcoin at 12 bucks. Nice. And so, um, it um so I, I got in for curiosity's sake because sure. I'm just a scholar like that. Yeah, and well, so, and you're in the space, right? Well, actually, somebody asked me about it. I'm like, I don't know, but I should know. Shouldn't I? So, <laughs> yeah. I, I, sure. so I think that guy that said that to me because that's why I own twelve twelve dollar sure. Bitcoin. Um, but you know, 
you know, and then there's, you know, the hype last year around Bitcoin. And that's because, you know, that's nothing but mob mentality and, and oh, I can get rich quick scheme kind sure. of stuff. And some will and some will lose and some will get scammed and whatever. Yep. But um, it's supply and demand like any other economic situation. You put a lot of money in, you can take a stock that really just stinks and you go buy a bunch of it and it'll go up. That's just the way it works. Sure. So, but anyway, when that started, what happened is it made people think differently. It made people go, wait a minute, maybe there is a different way. Sure. So if you notice, once that came on scene, the innovation just like caught on fire. Yep. So not only was it, you know, people that never done payments or never done finances, all of a sudden now, oh, you know, opining on, oh, we could do this, we could do this. And, and people, yeah, oh yeah. And, you know, you get caught up in the hype, of course. Some of it is like, uh, we could always do that. You just got to <laughs> develop it. And, you, you know, so you can look at, you know, blockchain and, and that type of development also no different than, okay, well, why is it different than Java? Yeah. I mean, it's a language, basically. Sure. So, you know, there's different ways of context of looking at it. But the, the, the point um, I'm, I guess I'm getting to is aside from this evolution of, of what's dri driven these changes is that there's a lot of this change going on. And, um, you know, finally, some of the, you know, the, the people that had all the marbles um, started looking at other ideas. Some have come to some of the same kind of conclusions I've just kind of outlined. Sure. And then others said, well, maybe we can do something different. But what it did is that whole open network effect and there's been lots of discussions, lots of podcasts, a lot of a lot of um, um, papers written about open versus closed. Sure. So really, this is the one word that comes to to mind. And um, this was a big word in our faster payment task force. Okay. That was actually absolutely required as part of the new system. And in that word is interoperability. Okay. Interesting. And what that basically in short means is that whatever system is there should be able to interconnect and be kind of format agnostic. Sure. Message spec agnostic. Right? So, you know, that could be a lot of work for a lot of solution integrators. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but it's also a, a, an inter way, I mean, a thing, way of thinking, a way of designing. So, you know, our system is like that today. Sure. And so we can interconnect to any other network. We're, we're a, in effect, almost like a network of networks. Got you. Yeah, so yeah makes that, sense. That means, right? So, so it's like you think of it like a keychain, right? You have one big master keychain, and then you have a bunch of sub keychains that hang off of it that do different things. You got one key for the house, one for the office, whatever. Yeah. So we've kind of created, in effect, a mechanism that is that master keychain. And, you know, if you want to put your keys on, you do. If you don't, you don't. Sure. Find your own, yeah. right? And so, um, but it, it, it is around that idea of interoperability, right? And there's a few people, you know, kind of talked in this. I mean, the blockchain guys have always talked about that because that's really the concept behind it in sure. the blockchain thing. Sure. And the Bitcoin was too, right? Um, blockchain has evolved into side chains and, and, and there's other kind of closed network effects, but that, that's kind of the same thing, just a different language. Sure. I, I think... But, you know... No, go ahead. I was just going to say, maybe... Let's step back for a second because I, I get this asked in my friend group sometimes. Um, so maybe like let's explain to people what Bitcoin is 
and how you actually mine it. And then let's maybe cover what blockchain is and and how it kind of works with what you guys are doing. Is, is that fair? And then we'll keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I, I will try to simplify it. Sure. And we don't need to go into hashing. And no, stuff totally. Like that. Um, I, actually, we used to put on for about three years, we used to put on training sessions every year in Chicago once a year for okay. Bitcoin and blockchain and all the, you know, all the detail and all the nauseating part of it. Um, but, um, but in simple, you know, so we got to start with blockchain in a way, even though that's not what you heard about first, but what you heard about Bitcoin first, because sure. it was created, blockchain was created and I'm going to oversimplify it because yeah, yeah. it's really no, like that's better. a, a, it's like a PNL in the sky. Okay. Yeah. You know, so it has, it has inputs and outputs as debits and credits. Right. Yeah. And so it was created as a ledger system, as you, you'll hear it called as ledger system, right? Because that's really what it is. It's just if you think about your checkbook or a ledger, you got a credit side, you got a debit side, mm -hmm. right? So you input and output. So you know, behind the scenes, there's these long numbers, basically, or character sets that really are tokenizations, if you will, sure, of a message that says here is this, and it has a value of you know ten dollars. Sure. Um, you know, and it's not even ten dollars. It's it's one zero point. Right. You know, and then however long the the end of it. So you got to go back and think about. So currency is a country specific thing. Sure. And it's sponsored by countries and uh, each of those central banks, and and it's about you know how much gold they have in reserve and all these other things, right? But really, what this concept was was an exchange of value so sure. if the the concept is why do i need a bank why do i need this why don't you put in this you know this is the old bartling system back in the old renaissance days i give you a goat you give me a cow sure right yeah and and that's in an effect what it amounts to in a digital sense right right i have this i have a value of this you want to pay it you want to pay ten dollars you know I'm using that as a non-fiat um, wording. But, you know, you're willing to pay 10 for it? Okay, here you go. Here's an exchange, and I will send it to you, right? Sure. And so it's that that idea. And so all it is is a ledger that technology-wise it goes in and it comes out. Now, the mining practice is a validation process that says this is a correct transaction. It's, it's kind of like I used to have an image in my head and when I think of the big PNL, well, there's an accountant with the little binder on his head, the little visor on his yeah, head, yeah, yeah. you know, and a, min a miner is going, yep, yep, I've got, that's right, right? But uh, it, it's a little more complicated, obviously, than sure. that. But, you know, mi miners basically fight for um, who validates it first. Okay. Um, and, and whoever validates it, ding, gets a coin. So it's almost like a video game, right? Sure. So, Whoever gets there first gets gets uh, um, gets the prize for winning it, and it's a group consensus that does it. So, in other words, everybody goes, "Yep, yep, this guy's right, this guy's right." You know, think of almost an auction, right? Yeah. So that's how the system works. It's kind of an input of values, you know, group consensus on validating that transaction that you know, everything is the way it's supposed to be, and then it goes out the other side. So. Um, 
you know, that's that kind of the mechanism. Now, Bitcoin is just a label for that kind of currency. Sure. That's it. So, the, you know, there are like excess of 5,000 different cryptocurrencies in yep. the world, right? Totally. And you realize that basically a Disney dollar is a cryptocurrency or was until they canceled it last year. Oh, interesting. I never thought of it like that. But yeah, well, and you and I could create our own cryptocurrency like right now if we wanted to. Exactly. All, all we have to do is agree upon that if I hand you something yeah. and you accept it and, and, and for that value and we want to call it the Kevin currency, that's what it is. Sure. So it, it's just an exchange of value. That's the whole point. Sure. So crypto just basically means it's you know a cryptogram, which is you know and in, in encrypted in a tokenization type of a process to do the exchange. Sure. So that's at the base of what it is. So Bitcoin um, was kind of launched in the in the market to be an exchange of valuing services, and obviously some shady people were using it in the beginning because it was hidden and it was a you sure. know, silence. So nobody knew who the sender was, nobody who the receiver was. Sure. Just had a number. Yeah. So um, you know, like the stock example, you feed something, it'll grow. Yeah. And it got attention. Uh, people started looking at ways of commercializing it. And um, you know, then there was all this speculation, is it a commodity, is it an asset, what is it? Because you know, of course the government wants to get paid for it, so they want to say, you know, opine on you know it, it, do we get taxation off of it sure so you know anything that's out of control or does not have controls you know some government or someone regulatory bodies going to want to control it or at least be paid for it um so you know and get, don't get me wrong i'm not libertarian anyway sure. but you know there is an element of that um you know some of it is protection of consumer but i would say it's kind of funny that the first thing came out was you know pay your taxes on it not protect the consumer but, um, yeah. yeah, so that's really what it amounts to, right? And so there's been a lot of them out there. You know, Ripple, they're actually a commercialized payment company that that was, a, there was it still is just a, a cryptocurrency. Okay. And they actually, or I would say the first ICO, because they, they had the currency first before they were a commercialized company for purposes of money transmission, and they really kind of stopped talking about the currency, but it was a fact what funded them all this time, except for the initial funding. Sure. So, so you know, that's, um, and it's just an evolution of thought, right? So yeah, raising funds for a startup company or for new types of ventures are is challenging. Sure. And mainly because one person has, all the cards in their hand and the other one is sitting and begging for it. Right. So, um, it's, it's a interesting dance. It's a, um, dance almost like a boyfriend girlfriend dance kind of scenario when they first meet each other. And so sure. you know, this allows for the public, you know, when the whole idea of crowdfunding came along, sure. this was really nothing more than crowdfunding for, for, uh, that space for crypto um, type of company. So how does it kind of work for push payments then? Like, you guys obviously have these APIs that kind of manage all this stuff kind of in real time behind the scenes. But how do you kind of explain what you guys kind of do to somebody that's not really technical and doesn't really necessarily understand it? Because it gets so complicated so fast. 
Is that fair to say? Yeah. And especially no, when you're I pushing between yeah. different currencies, kind of globally, whether it's a digital currency or like just between banks or, you know, just even just physical money currency. Like, how how do you kind of explain what you guys do kind of to people that maybe aren't necessarily really, really technical? Well, when I when I started the company, the, the, the first and most important thing that we were to do is take the extremely complex and make it simple. Okay. You know, this, this industry is extremely complex and overly complex for a, a host of reasons, sure. some justified, some not. But, and, and I will have to tell you, I'm, you know, the guy that kind of understands the weeds. Um, so it was actually even difficult for me to simplify it in some of the most uh, easy communicated ways. And, and I've struggled with that even myself. Okay. Um, it's hard to uh, wind it back sometimes. Sure. Right. And, but the simple answer to that is, is this. So we, and it also depends on who you are. Sure. Because I will, um, so I was talking to a very large processor today and, and, you know, we were talking about uh, a particular solution. And so then they, they immediately went and says, well, how does that help these other guys that they know we do business with? Right. Okay. Um, and I said, well, that's not an answer. They don't care about that. That's just a feature functionality that makes more sense to you and works for you and what you're trying to accomplish. But the, these guys over here, they, they have different needs. It just so happens that we built a platform that's very uh, nimble and it allows for interoperability. So it has to support multiple customer types. Right. So, you know, so basically we are the type of entity that, that a bank can, um, we can connect right with a bank, we can connect right with a processor and we can connect right to a FinTech. Very few companies can actually use the same company to, to do three totally different market sets. Sure. Right. Because it's not so much, um, it's part of what we do, but it's also how we do it. And so to answer your question, what we're doing is while we're a rail to some extent, or we're a connection to other rails, Sure. what we end up doing is allowing for us, um, and our solution to better products of others. Uh, so it provides differentiator to processors. Sure. It allows them to do things they can't do today. Sure. And it allows them to, within a very short period of time, get to market. So one of our, you know, our things that I'm very proud of is is the speed to market. So the things that we actually can bring to the table for a bank or for a, a processor and what we end up doing is it would take those companies 18 months to two years at least to get sure. to market for any one of those things. Sure. And we can turn them on in about two weeks, two months, depending on what we're doing. Wow. That's actually so, really quick. Right. So, I mean, if you think about how integrations work today, that's what we ended up doing. We already built all those connections, to all the networks. We've already built all the, the, the needs from the routing aspects and how to manage the, the billing and how to handle the settlement and, and do all those different nuances. Sure. Right. So all you need to do is plug in the API and go. Right. You know, the only thing that you might need is if we needed to build something custom for you sure. that doesn't exist, uh, that was unique to you or unique to your market, which still, um, the way we structured it, we can stand up APIs in days. Right. It yeah. just all depends on if the data is there. Right. Sure. 
Well, and the other nice thing. For so, you, no, go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, it's really about time to market. It's about liquidity because we provide liquidity to the company. Sure. So we have a new product called uh, instant merchant settlement. It's not too new. We actually started last fall, but it will be out in the market. Some very large processors here in a very short period of time. I can't name the names, but sure. it will, it will be very apparent soon. And so what it does is it allows all their customers, which are, you know, small businesses, restaurants, bars, to immediately get their funds back on their credit card. Oh, interesting. So, you know, so today when somebody processes, think about a restaurant, yeah. you know, a successful restaurant that's going into a weekend, you know, they can have, you know, very easy fifty, hundred thousand dollars worth of credit card receipts in one night. That's small. Sure. And I mean some companies do a half million in one night if they're a big like Joe Stone Crab in Miami or something like that. Sure. But you know, you think about so they got fifty thousand dollars in, in receipts. The food's out in people's stomach and walking out the door. Yep. Right? So the product is gone. They collect the credit card receipts. You still got Saturday, you got Sunday, and it's a long weekend, you got Monday. Right. Now when do you think for Friday? When does when do they get paid for Friday's credit card receipts? When they cash out and the night's over with, when do they get Friday's money in the bank? What is it? Like, you know? It's gotta be what, like seven to fourteen days? That's my best guess. <laughs> Well, it's not that bad. Okay. But, you know, that would be horrible. Okay. But, but um, they they don't actually get it for, you know, three or four days. Okay, sure. Right? And so there is a next day type of uh, funding, but not over the weekend. Right. So on Friday, on a Friday, you know, ACH doesn't run on the weekend. Right. So on a Friday, they could have 50000 there, you know, maybe another hunt sale on Saturday, maybe, you know, 50000 on Sunday. You know, so before you know it, you know, you've got an everyday restaurant floating a half million dollars over a weekend yeah and they still have to put food on the table for the next servings sure right that that's hard on small businesses sure and that's a repeatable business that's constant and they have to manage that cash flow very different yeah like every weekend (laughs) yeah exactly so you know the catch up during the week they go what do they do they got to go buy a bunch of food make everything again and it's a cycle yeah so we allow them to get paid 24 7 365 days a year instantly so how, once they batch out. And if, they, and if they're online, they just basically set the amount that they want to cash out at, 5000 10000 and then send them the cash. Put it in the bank instantly. So how do you, well, without getting too technical, how do you guys go about doing that? Like, well, we've we've basically got a, a mechanism that allows us to send funds from one bank account to the next. Oh, right. uh, uh, like securely and, and like you verified those transactions and that's why the banks let you release those funds outside of kind of banking hours. Is that a simple way to put it? Uh, yes. I mean, there's, there is definitely um, uh, risk management involved. So we mitigate risk okay. and we monitor risk and things of that nature because there are, you know, things that can go bump in the night. But generally speaking, yes. So we put together a process Interesting. and automated this process to, to allow for this to happen. And it is um, for an online, you know, transaction, it's, it's an easy implementation. Okay. So right now we've got ISOs are lining us the door waiting to use this for whoever processors we want to bring to the market first. So I will have to say that the two particular processors that are going to be in the market first, they're going to have a heyday. Sure. So they're going to eat everybody's lunch. Sure. So you got to realize that the acquiring processors today 
their biggest competitions are the major banks. Right. So you got Bank of America, Merchant Services, Wells Fargo, because they can do next day because they're the bank. Right. But a processor is is one step down, so right. they have to wait that extra day. Right. So it's hard for them to compete, and the and the bigger banks are going to hurt that. Right. So this is a great leveling of the playing field for those guys. Sure. Right. And, and so, you know, that marketplace is now become so commoditized where they fight over pennies sure. on the transaction level. Sure. So then how do you guys monetize that? Do you just take like a certain percentage of the transaction? We charge a flat fee. Okay. Right. To send the funds. Right. Gotcha. We don't, we're not, um, even though we have components of interchange and things like that, that we, we stomach it. We take that risk and basically we charge a flat fee. We execute the transaction for them. Um, they can choose whether or not they want to pass the fee on or not. That's up to you know them. What do you and, mean by but, pass the fee but, on? Oh, to like their well, consumer? We, no, well, to the merchant, I guess. Oh, right? okay, so, I see. Right. So, so some will you know elect to pay for it. Some will elect to say you know if you you know here's an option. If you want your money right away, you know here's the fee. Gotcha. So. Um, the credit card works, the whole credit card world works that way. In other words, here, I'm going to charge you to do my part, and everybody else's fees it takes to do the job, I'm going to pass it through to you. I see. Yeah. So what they do is they, they negotiate on this, you know, all five cents, 10 cents, this transaction rate, but the merchants don't realize that when they get the bills in a month, there's this big, huge automation of uh, automation. Um, this itemization of all these transactions and the cost, you know, nobody, not should say nobody, but many don't, can't understand or even go back to validate what it is. Right. But that's all those pass-through fees. So they think they negotiate the best they can. And, you know, they got a, you know, five, $600 bill in the month or whatever that is. And it's a, you know, five or six pages of it. And then what does it happen? It goes in the trash can or it goes in the file cabinet and you know, moves on. Right. But the, they don't realize that what they're really paying is much more than this little five, 10 cent transaction that they negotiated. Right. Interesting. Is that why, and this is maybe unrelated, but is that why some of the like, you know, higher end kind of like points cards or whatever, I've heard that merchants don't like sometimes when you use some of those like, higher end cards because it actually costs them more money per transaction is that is that's that that's, that's true that's, that is correct yeah that's absolutely correct absolutely so there's there's uh processes and i actually know um a, a company today that helps um companies strip that out okay right? but it's normally done uh so uh, well amazon does it okay so if you use a points card on Amazon, yep. you won't get your points because they're going to route it away that, and it's similar to how we route our transactions actually. Um, but it, um, they route it in a certain way that, that basically strips out all that extra interchange. So they don't, um, you know, and nobody gets the point. So that's where that, that point and that benefit comes from is the merchant pay switch. Oh, oh wait. Okay. So, so I fully understand this. Because this is actually quite fascinating to me. So there's times that I use my points card that I might not actually get the points at certain merchandise or retailers because they route their payments 
a, a different way so like they don't pay a higher fee? Is that what you said? It's, it's very possible. Wow. I had no idea. That's It's normally online merchants. You'll find that out more than anybody. I mean, brick and mortar won't do that. They don't. Sure. Sometimes they might because there are solutions that do that. There's a few of them. Okay. Uh, I know most of them uh, that offer the, those services. And, and and it's really what it amounts to is is they're just paying more interchange because it's a point part. Remember something, all those kickbacks, all those things that comes from somewhere. Sure. And all the interchange is collected today is no longer used for risk mitigation like it used to be. It's used for kickbacks and points, and that, that's the way the system works. Interesting. So how do you get around that then? Because, like, I again, not getting too technical. Like, I'm, I'm actually quite fascinated by this. <laughs> actually, I use a, a, um, a regulatory ruling that helps me do it. Okay. And it's all under, it's all under Dodd-Frank. Oh, wow. So I'm able to do what I'm doing simply because of the Dodd-Frank ruling. Okay. And then you just, and then you route it away where I just don't get the points for that online transaction if I buy something from Amazon or, or you, or one of the retailers. But remember something, but remember something, what we're doing is we're not using as a credit transaction, like a credit card, like you're doing, we're sending money. Uh, So if you're getting a transaction from us, you're, you're getting money, which uh, you, you're fine with that. Yeah. Okay. So, I see. Right. So there's nobody paying the interchange in this case except for us. Got you. Interesting. Okay. That's wild. I I never knew that that was like how that worked out. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So <laughs> this this kind of leads me, I guess, into kind of the next thing I kind of want to talk about. I I think like since you were on the show a long a while ago. I think a lot of it's kind of changed and I think we've kind of covered some of that stuff with like blockchain and Bitcoin, at least the kind of cryptocurrency and at least kind of blockchain stuff is kind of at least become in the media. Like when, you know, people that are non-technical or like when my mother starts asking about what Bitcoin is or something like that, I was like, oh, it's hit the mainstream now. Right. Um, So what else has kind of changed in the kind of online payment space? you know, within even the last year that you've noticed? Wow. Um, you know, it's a little bit more of the same, but okay. what I would say is is um, in the last year, um, it, it's, you remember something that no matter what idea, newfangled thing that hits the market, everything is about adoption. Sure. Everything. Yeah, because if people don't use it, well, it's not going to last, right? So, um, that's really what it always boils down to. So, you know, AI and machine learning and all those things, you know, came on um, pretty strong, and and a lot of I'll say trinkets were created like Echoes and sure. Alexas and stuff like that, which are more toys than anything else. Um, but you know, there, what it does is it just allows people to take those you know, kind of ideas or toys or whatever. So, but those mechanisms and then put them together. So what happens in innovation in general is let me take a little bit of this idea and let me take a little bit of this. Okay. So think about what we do. We provide a, I call it a utility service offering, right? Okay. So look at, look at plaid. Plaid is the same thing. Plaid offers a utility service offering um, that you can go to them and basically 
you know, check your bank balance with credentials, right? Okay. And, and do some other things. So, there, you know, you could take those and put it together and create your own idea. So the digital wallets, there's companies that do that. There's prepaid companies that do that. So what happens is as these become more predominant in, in, in the major market, then people take this one and put it together with this one and put it together with this one and create something new. Right. Right? So, you know, the, the voice first move is really starting to um, catch. And I just saw it on a headline the other day, you know, and this is the Alexa aspect of it. Yeah. So it goes back to that adoption, right? So remember what we talked about in the beginning is about speed, efficiency, sure. less friction, ease of use, right? Yeah. And every generation comes along, you know, we can say they're entitled, uh, but I wouldn't call it entitled. They're just, you know, Maybe it's spoiled, because, but it's not in the sense of in a bad connotation, not, not like that, but rather, you know, you didn't know any better. You grew up that way. Sure. Like my kids today, at five years old, I had them reformatting a DOS prompt and, and reprogramming computers because I wanted them to know it. Sure. Makes you know, sense. And, and, and yeah. once they got out of kindergarten and hacking the computer, then I got them onto something else. But, <laughs> you know, so... But but they you know they're gamers and they understand things they just get things differently sure. right and this is a generation growth right and so what happens is as we evolve as as a um, society um, each invention from the last generation becomes the bedrock of the next innovation um, thought process sure. does that make sense yeah totally so. So really what I think you're going to see now is the idea was put in everybody's head. Oh, well, let me just speak it. Now, now where do you think about, I forget how long ago, it's probably been 30 years now, but how, you know, Odyssey, Space Odyssey, yep. the first really big movie like that. Yep. And he spoke to the computer, right? Well, we're just now kind of getting to that point, aren't we? Yep. Totally. So, so if you take Alexa and, and you take these things and actually put some serious meat behind them you know why not i why shouldn't i just you know speak and go um you know hey can transfer the money from here to there or hey can you call the uh, the pizza shop and have my my favorite order sure right why shouldn't we just be able to do that because what does it do it gets us again more quality of life it's all about hey if i can speak it and i have to type it and i have to open the computer and i have to go to my phone yeah um you know, the, our uses of our phone cause their own problem. You know, right now I've got this huge sore in my thumb okay. because I use my phone all the time. Sure. Because I'm swiping, right? I'm swiping, I'm moving, I'm typing. Yep. And so, you know, those are every new invention has, you know, some form of impacts. And so what we always look to do is get more efficient, more, you know, less friction. So we're constantly evolving our space and our thought process of how to do things. So, you know, that voice first aspect of it is the next big wave. Sure. And so, you know, that's, that's, it's yet to hit the market in a strong sense, but it's just about connecting that need and that demand to the capabilities that are out there today, assemble the right units, and you've got a nice, another delivery mechanism that, that suits, right? Yeah. No, that's, that's an interesting way to put it because I got a Google Home uh, well, late last year, uh, the Mini, because it was like half price. And I kind of thought, well, I don't know how much I'm actually going to use this. But for 40 bucks, I'm in tech. I should probably, you know, suck it up and buy one already. And, and, and you know what? I actually, like my wife uses it a ton. My daughter uses it a ton. I actually use it a ton. It is complete and utter 
like a toy. I will 100% openly admit I could do basically all the things that it does either on my phone or some other device, but it the convenience of it is pretty nice in certain situations, but it is very much a toy. Um, but it's funny though, is like now that my daughter will talk at it and, you know, get it to play the latest, like a song from Frozen or, you know, some other song from Disney or something. It, it's interesting because she doesn't understand certain things like you can't fast forward through commercials on live TV where you can on like, you know, other like PVR content, right? So it's just, it's interesting. Like you could say, well, ah, she, you know, she's three, she doesn't understand. Or you could turn that around and to say like, that's entitlement or something, right? But it's like, to your point a second ago, it's like that generation just expects that, right? It's like, what do you mean that I can't fast forward through the commercials? Or, or why is there commercials at all, right? We're growing up. Yeah, yeah. there's a Go there's ahead, a sorry. brokerage commercial on television, right? Mm -hmm. That actually runs along this vein. I don't remember which one it's for, but you know the guy's talking about an investor or something and losing money or something, and his kid, little little five seven year old kid, sitting next to him, he goes, you know, or you know, I don't get my money back if I lose, you know, or it doesn't work that way, and he just goes, well, why not? <laughs> right? And so. Is that that curiosity is part of it, which makes it cute. But you know, the that's what makes us innovators constantly ask that question: sure. Why not? Sure. Right. And so that's what really is about innovation. And so if we can, you know, there's a lot of futurists that, that talk about you know what can be and what will be. Well, because really it's just about creating that idea of why not. Sure. And if you put enough capital and enough smart people together, they'll figure out how they can do that. Sure. And, and we can create a better experience and, 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 you know, uh, a, you know, I go back to it to time because I've always said what we do is, is actually give you time. We let you buy time sure. because in an essence, what used to take three days, you can do in a second now. Sure. So you've just bought what, um, <laughs> 70 hours or so right yep. so um it, it's it's um and, and really nowadays more than ever also because of technology we need time sure more and more we have less time to spend on the quality things that we should be spending on in our life yeah right and so while we have all this automation the fact that, that i gotta it, it's it's crazy even to this extent you know, I have multi-factor here. I jump over this. Yeah. I do this. I yeah. do this. Sometimes I gotta, you know, just because of security and the way it's coupled together today, yeah. it, it it actually is more complicated than if we had just done it manually almost, but not quite. No, but, you know. I know what you mean. Um, yeah. Right. So, so the point is, is as we grow and as we evolve into new technology, new capabilities, it creates this new layer of complexities and problems to solve. For every generation, yeah, that's right? fair. And so, and the next wave of whatever the next thing is, right? So the Alipay kind of dominated, you know, the Asian um, culture and 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 that whole era because they were able to jump generations uh, that didn't exist there because they didn't have a maturity. Sure, our market's a little different, more complex, more mature. So you know, there is people that want to hold on to their their marbles a little bit more. Sure. That's part of it. But the other thing is, it's just not as easy, and it's a little bit more complex. Sure. But you know, so maybe the the right way to manage that is us leaping over and not going to the Alipay model, but going to the one after that. Right. Right. So 
part of it is all about identifying the waves. And, and in the end, you know, I hate to put it this way, you know, part of it is usability and, and, and adoption. Cause if you don't have adoption, sure. you don't have anything, Yeah. but you need adoption. Cause if you have adoption, then you have a business model Yeah, that's fair. because then you can figure out the monetization of that. Cause if you can't make money, then nobody's going to, you know, grow a, grow a company if you can't do that. Sure. And does the stuff happening in Europe right now kind of affect you guys quite a bit or not really? Which part? You talking about the open APIs and, and that type of thing? Yeah. And all the, the privacy PDF stuff that too? they're working on too. Does that affect you guys? Oh, it affects everybody. Sure. Um, okay. You know, it, 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 if I would have to say, you know, this happens to be, you know, I'm not sure um, the date and everything, but um, I just got in the last two days more updates in my privacy notice to every single online account I've had than anything I've ever seen. Sure. Um, I, I probably got 20 or 30 of them in the last 24 hours. Okay. Um, so, you know, everybody's preparing for it, but it affects everyone now. Yeah. So, you know, we're not really geographically bound as much as we think we are. You know, while fair. I'm not sitting with you right now, I'm talking to you. And so just because you're in Europe, so there's a body of water we call the big pond, but it doesn't really matter no. other than time zones and stuff. Sure. So, so yeah, it, it, I think it affects us in many ways. Um, I think it's for, it makes us look more globally and consider global impacts. Sure. Uh, I do think that the evolution of, of PDF2 and open API kind of idea yeah. um, is, is really what's influenced, influenced us a lot. Sure. Uh, a lot of processors are coming out with open APIs. So, you know, it, that creates an ecosystem effect because the more people, that goes back to what we were talking about, about interoperability. Sure. The more you allow people to connect to you by nature and by natural um, effect, you're going to get more transactions. You're going to get more business. It's just going to happen. You're not giving stuff away. You're actually opening it up for business. Sure. It's, it's like the old guy that had the general store says, oh, I only buy my tomatoes from John, and I'm only going to sell them to Billy Bob over there. Sure. Really? No, you're going to put them out and you're going to say everybody come by. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so that's a, that's a mentality change. And, you know, I, I've been a firm believer that change is opportunity all my life. Interesting. Um, if, if you, if you believe that otherwise, then you will be stagnant in everything you do. Um, most people are afraid of change by yeah. nature. We're by humans. We, we are because it's the unknown. Sure. Um, but you know, I, I think that, um, opening up and, and changing basic principles that we've always known to be true um, isn't always true. And most of the time those are made up and on false assumptions. You know, you can easily take a look. Here's, here's an easy example. Okay. So the data collection things done today, when you do validations and, and verifications today of KYC or, or validating people's identities, um, has anybody, any, if you've ever went back in your, um, your family tree or family heritage, right? Yeah. The farther you get back, a lot harder it is to actually know data. Sure. Now, why is that? Because people are writing it. Yeah. You couldn't even read people's spelling. Yeah, fair. Right? It, it, so there's no exact. And as we got into the digital age, we got more and more data, but it wasn't organized. So it's all over the place. Sure. And it's incorrect yeah. and not validated. So, you know, some of the best validation sources that are used by banks today are the mess. There's no validation there. There's a, 
there's a percentage of maybe it's right, maybe it's not, <laughs> right? Sure. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, that's, that's all they had at the time. Sure. Right? So, so those, that's why change is, is good in that sense, because what you knew to be true before is no longer true today. Sure. And that's, that's a kind of a basic principle that we, the more people can accept that, the faster we can grow as a, as a you know, economy and, and a race and, and, and really, you know, be more supportive of even each other, you know, even in from a, um, you know, a position of people's position and thoughts of how they see things, right? It's just, it, things change. It never stays the same. No, I, I 100% agree with you, but we're, we're out of time. So let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to mention. Yeah, well, absolutely. You can get a hold of us uh, at www.pushpayments.com. And we're at most of the conferences, but uh, feel free to reach out to us at any point and uh, send us a request. Um, shoot us an email, and uh, we'll be glad to uh, get in some good discussion. Perfect, Travis. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time again to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day. All right. Wonderful. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks very much. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. To join the free community, buy some merch, sponsor the show, or sign up for the newsletter, please visit the website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.